0: Welcome back to the Hoops Handbook Podcast. We are excited to be continuing our NAI Coaches Roundtable series this episode with Donnie Boswick, head coach at Oklahoma Wesleyan. Thanks for coming on, coach.
1: Hey, it's uh, it's an honor.
0: Well, thanks again for being a part of this, but unfortunately, we have to start with this and it's even tougher to talk about considering y'all had such a great season going at Oklahoma Wesleyan. The Eagles won the KCAC Conference Tournament and won the first round game of the NAIA D2 tournament to advance to the round 16, but sadly that was cut short for y'all.
1: Yeah, you know, it was uh, it was interesting. probably one of the most interesting times. Uh, we just got out of practice the next morning. I watched uh, audible play in the second round, the second day of first round competition and Ottawa had won a nice game, a big-time comeback win uh, in the last minute. Uh, they were celebrating like crazy, and I looked over and saw one of the guys that helps run the tournament, and he kind of gave the the sign like we're done, and I was like no way. And within minutes, Ottawa went from cheering and celebrating to crying Man. as they as they found out, and coaches were walking in, or teams hadn't got to play yet, some of them, and and just it was uh, some coaches were upset, obviously some were you know in tears. Um, players you work so hard to get to that point and all of a sudden you find out we're, we're all like let's go play to why let's you know,
2: yeah <laughs> we,
1: we don't need the fans we're here why are we leaving but you know in the, in the in the long stretch of things in life you know if it's putting older people in jeopardy or people that that we love that deal with respiratory you know disease or something uh you know no wins worth a life right um, and so yeah it was it was tough our team had won four straight postseason games and it was really rolling and just felt like they were tapping in extremely well to god and so it was interesting
0: man i I bet that was even harder for the seniors that y'all had on the team
1: yeah we have one senior uh this year and you know he had been with me four years lance tipton uh great great young man he's our spiritual leader on our team and i watch him grow so much and you know his last for he had four dances you know four different trips and this last one, we were really hoping to make that, you know, make it last longer. And, you know, he I mean, reached a couple sweet 16s, but it's the first time we were really feeling like. I mean, guy was just really pouring into our team, and, and we had just defeated the defending national champions, who had everybody back. And, and uh, yeah. I just, I just really had a good feeling, you know, up until that I saw, that, I saw that coach that kind of you know, once again said they're just shut us down, and you know, they they had nothing to say. It was basically all legality, and and uh, you know, I think they're doing it for the right reason. It was it was challenging. I can't imagine being a senior. I was lucky enough to win my last game. And so was Lance, though. You know, and we said that, you know, everybody right. was able to win their last game. I think it's only the second time in school history um, we won the National Championship in 09, The team won their last game. And so, right. you know, yeah. they're a unique breed and 26 wins. Started two freshmen and a sophomore. No, only one senior. Uh, they accomplished a whole bunch this year.
0: Absolutely. And that's that's actually what we said last episode when I was talking to Alex Ireland out of Dalton State. And it's almost like it goes both ways because, you know, you don't end the season on a loss, but it's almost like what now? Because there's no closure. Everybody's used to either, you know, winning that championship or or knowing their season's done. And it's just really confusing for a lot of guys right now, for sure.
1: You know, my guys are all back at the hotel getting a shower and, you know, told coach, my assistant coaches, get everybody, get them ready. We're going to hit the bus and get out of here. And uh, I remember walking back into the, the hotel and, you know, I had had just about an hour to gather my thoughts. And I had walked in and graduated Ottawa, you know, on their season, one of our conference teams and, and told them, you know, keep their heads up and everything. But by the time I got back to my hotel and, and was walking in to uh, see my guys for the first time, you know, I just was all about, you know, don't let statements steal your joy. Like what a season we were shown favor all year. Even in this sense, we got to go play you know, one game in the national tournament, most of my players experienced it for the first time. Yeah, uh, we we actually, you know, like I said, defeated a very good team. And, and one of my close friends uh, from Spring Arbor that won the national championship last year. And we, we got to win that game. I, I thought that compared to a lot of people, you know, I'm just gonna be honest. The next day um, we, we started the season on a mission trip to a rural town called Briggsdale, Colorado. And uh, the coach there I met through um, kind of a God thing. And we were out there doing a mission trip to this small town. We just set up a week-long kind of a, a sports camp for the kids. And then every night we would do kind of a kids, youth, and adult service. And we would reach out to the, the elderly and the, the widows and do yard work and paint their houses and stuff during the day. It was just an amazing time that our team really bonded. And uh, their team on the guys' side had really had never made the state tournament and had much success. And it was so cool because both our teams, you know, young team made the tournament. People weren't expecting much last year. And we we're number two in the country and graduated eight seniors. Right. And this time it was just, just the opposite. Everybody kind of didn't think we probably were going to be able to, you know, they were all saying rebuilding and all that, those terms. And we lose that game. We're on the way home. I'm watching uh, my buddy Clint playing the first round of the state tournament and they, they win uh, in overtime an amazing game, defeating the, the defending state champions, just like we defeated the defending national champions. And our wow. journey both began that weekend or that week. And I find out right after that, he says, they just canceled our tournament as well. And so to me, I felt like, you know, the uniqueness and the, in the uh, I don't believe in coincidence. The coincidence that happened is usually in my eyes, God's fingerprints. And, and I saw both our teams reach the tournament, get to play one game, you know, God's not surprised by this. Nothing takes yeah. Him off, but He allowed us both to experience one major good game, advance on, and have favor, even in the signs that so many other people didn't even get to play. Another funny thing with that story is He owns kind of a uh, uh, limousine business on the side, and so when we got back from climbing a mountain, we actually went on a mountain hike after that, and, and a white water rafting experience at the end of that. And we came back oh, and cool. we had two limousines set up for us. And we went and ate, and he just took us out to bowling. and It was just a lot of fun. Well, this year, when we called to get our uh, our bus, a charter, they were out of buses. And so, because we wanted for sure we were going to make the tournament. And then they had one entertainment sleeper bus that we, <laughs> we booked. And, and they said, yeah, we can give you a good rate on that. It was like a limousine. So, you know, I've been to tournaments. where, you know, we're in the short bus, and, and yeah. it was fun in '09. <laughs> we, were, we were the last bus leaving, and it was a short bus. Everybody else, nice buses, were gone. And we won an house championship. This time, we rolled in in a limousine, basically, and with Sports Center, ESPN, TVs everywhere, sleepers, things. I mean, it, it was an amazing experience. So I, <laughs> I felt like God's favor really poured down, and our guys knew it had.
0: That's awesome. That's really cool. And uh, I'd like to take a step back kind of from the team and talk about you and your journey. You've had a really successful career. You've surpassed 500 wins, been ranked very high in the country. You've competed for championships as a player and a coach and at multiple levels. You have an outstanding win percentage. You've won two national championships at the NAIA level. And uh, you've actually been coach of the year in NAIA twice. Can you kind of just walk us through you know, how you've gotten to where you are now and briefly take us through your journey.
1: Yeah, I kind of do the, uh, the short version, small town kid from a a town called Pryor, Oklahoma. Uh, the local people call it Pryor Creek Less than You know, I grew up about five to 7,000 people in in our town and, um, in Oklahoma, you know, in Texas, there's a lot more, a lot more big cities and stuff, but we were still, uh, one of the smallest foray schools. So our school was competing against schools, double and triple our size as, as a foray. Uh, there was only five A at the time, right. and uh, nobody really had ever came out of prior to play, you know, significant college basketball or. Nobody even came out of my family to ever go to college, you know, in small, small side of town, uh, on the other side of the tracks, however you want to call it. My dad was a very good man. He was a bricklayer who went to work every day at 5 a.m., uh, working hard, taught me the value of hard work. Uh, my mom uh, was our spiritual leader of our home. She, she found Christ. And when she did, she slowly had prayed everybody in her family and our family into Christ, including my father. And he started running the church league basketball league in our gym and church league softball league. And I was the kid that was over there running the clock. And every time out I'd run and make a layup and, and I was lucky (laughs) enough to have a, have a key to the gym. And so, you know, I just had a dream, but I was really skinny. Didn't, didn't have, you know, a physique or anything like that. I was the shortest kid on my freshman team. I just loved the game a lot. and We didn't have all the AAU and all that back then. And I'm, I'm 50 now. So that's showing my age a little bit, but uh <laughs> i was i was going to you know my dad would work super hard just so i could go to a basketball camp at a place like oklahoma christian college or oklahoma baptist university or oklahoma city or university of arkansas or and i went to those camps uh i remember starting basketball like sixth grade and I, I went to a little camp here in town and i was like i couldn't believe everybody knew how to do all these drills and i had no clue you know uh, these days kids are playing AAU at five years old and going to nationals and uh you know which wasn't like that back then and and I just got a hunger and I, and I found out something I, I could love and, and, uh, kind of, it, it was a place I could go play, you know, whether it's on my chimney outside or if I go to the park and I could, it could, it could be my friend. It could, it was kind of, uh, kind of my girlfriend at the time, to be honest with you, cause I couldn't, couldn't get a girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you know, there's things that go along with uh, being on the wrong side of the track sometimes with, uh, with struggles and stuff. And, and not even knowing you didn't really have a lot of money until people started telling you that in junior high. And, you know, those tough times where you had bullies and all that, that ended up being um, something I didn't realize God was putting me through or allowing me to go through um, that was strengthening me and allowing me uh, to become strong, even though my physique wasn't there and everything. It helped me. You know, I played some football back in the day um, in, in junior high and in elementary. And you just had to be tough to survive recess, you know, come in with your t-shirt, your t- <laughs> t- you know, your shirt torn off and. You know, you're playing tackle the man, whatever. It didn't really matter. Um, These days, you know, you don't have that. And and the kids are not, you know, they can't even have a ball at recess sometimes. Um, But but where I come from in that area, it really helped me grow and become friendly to contact and and that sort of thing. So, you know, I ended up being an All-Stater there and got an opportunity, even though I was real thin. I think I graduated at about 148, benching 120 at 6'4". I grew my sophomore year, but I was a point guard before that. and That, that kind of gave me a chance. So I had one coach that would give me uh, a look and give me a scholarship offer. I had some parcels and some different things. But I went to junior college out in Colorado, um, got to experience a couple years of growing up that way and getting tougher, and, and then went on to John Brown University, a private uh, Christian school that, you know, just really was, was to me like a bubble. You know, I could just be myself and, uh, yeah. you know, I could go have a lot of fun. I'd go jump off a train bridge in a river at midnight. But, uh, you know, I try to (laughs) stay away from the drugs and all the things that a lot of kids got into. And so I went through that. Um, We turned a couple of programs around. I remember our high school team had won five games my freshman year, went to the area finals my senior year. And then uh, John Brown had won three games a couple of years in a row. And and I transferred in and we ended up winning the national championship. uh, NCCAA won 25 games my senior year, which that's kind of the. The NIT of the NEIA. Uh, back then, there were 600 teams, and only one team went out of your district. And the year before, I think Scotty Pippen and, and and Dennis Rodman, you know, were in that same area, so it wasn't exactly easy. Uh, yeah. To get to get out of district play, but uh, we went on and beat two top 25 teams and won the NCCA national championship. Got to win that that last game. And my dream was to be a high school coach in a small town and kind of just go down as, as somebody who you know was a person everybody learned to lean on in town. And, and I had coaches that poured into my life and, and I mm-hmm. wanted, to, I wanted to be a coach. And, and so that was kind of my dream. I started off uh, prior as an assistant coach, you know, substitute bus driving, uh, get my master's at Northeastern Oklahoma state. And from there, I got, I got my first head coaching job in 1994 at Venita high school. Um, they had won six games, the two previous seasons, um, they'd been in a state championship in football and it was kind of a football powerhouse. And uh, I think they hired me just because they wanted to, you know, a young coach that wasn't going to change, you know, the things that were rolling in the football field right. and, my point guard was the quarterbacks and the, and the head coach's son. And so I definitely wasn't going to shake anything there. And, and I, <laughs> I I valued the football field because of the strength and, and the same reason I did as a kid. and They loved the weight room. And so, you know, I, I reached that and I, and I was like, man, i reached my dream. I'm married. I've got a beautiful wife. And now we're going to start a family. I'm a head basketball coach. Basketball had helped me get a girlfriend. It helped me get in the papers. You know, help me. So it was my God. I mean, it was at the top. And below that was probably family. And then God fell right below that somewhere. And uh, I was, I was going to climb the ladder, you know. I was going to do whatever young coach wants to do and, and find a way to win and, and climb that ladder. And first season, we started winning. We got, uh, this is a funny story, but I, I, I'd interviewed at one other high school coming out, and it was a small town as well, and and I I went into the interview, and I lasted probably five minutes. I looked young at the time, and I remember the superintendent, and it was a bad job. I mean, it was the only job available like a week before school, and the superintendent looked at, me. he was an older gentleman, and it was just me and him, and he said two things. Number one, why did you go to junior college? And I was like, it's only offered scholarship opportunity I had, you know, I I had a three, four and a three, eight, uh, John Brown. And so I was like, I wasn't a bad student. And he said, well, he just kind of, I think you're a little too green behind the ears, son. And and that was it. And I remember walking out of that room going like, God, you couldn't even get me this job. It's a horrible job. You know, I I was kind of questioning God. I went back to driving substitute bus routes and and substitute teaching and, and thinking, man, this is crazy. I was, I was voluntarily for $500 coaching the seventh grade girls' team who I had one week with and before we played our first game and uh, we had a practice at like six 30 or seven in the morning and we got beat the first game 54 to four. They didn't yeah. know how to line up and, you know, they didn't have to line up in a free throw line. And I, I'm just sitting there going like, what a great start to my career. And, you know, so when I got the head coaching job at Venita, I thought I'd reach big time and I really had, but about halfway through the year we got pregnant. Uh, everything's going great. We're winning some games. And then, uh, Uh, soon, soon after, uh, we go into the heartbeat and, uh, i never heard the heartbeat because the baby didn't make it. And and my wife and I had to go through a really tough time there. You know, you're excited about what's going on off the court, but you just don't have the joy you thought you were going to have. Um, we get pregnant again, the start of the next year, uh, we go to hear the heartbeat again. And, uh, once again, no heartbeat, we lost the baby. And so it was just a really, really tough time for us. Um, I'm sure. I've got one of my principles that I kind of live by that my father was, like I said, was a hard worker never missed work and never let me miss school. And, you know, he says, you know, when you don't feel like going, son, you got to go. And that's, that's like getting back on defense. It's like going to the offensive boards. You know, you don't feel like making a play. You don't go by your feelings. You do what's right. And so we went to church that night and I remember not wanting to go because of, and I was supposed to even work in the nursery. Everybody was going to be saying like, Hey, you know, when's the baby due, and that kind of thing. And, other people had had babies and they, they had had them and we just went through the you know the miscarriage again and we went that night and there was a special speaker that spoke and, and uh, I remember sitting there and he defined wealth for us and, and wealth in the Old Testament part of being wealthy was how many how many children you had and I'm sitting there going like you know okay that's not what I was really wanting to hear tonight. Mm. but Mm -hmm. he announced he had had like three miscarriages and then he starts bringing his kids up like one after another. He has like three or four kids and God just started pouring into us. And he started saying, you got to stand on scripture. Like my vine will be fruitful. My quiver will be full. And started just, just kind of saying, Hey, write down exactly what you want and and what you're praying for. And so, you know, we wrote down, I wrote down blonde hair, blue eyed and left-handed. My wife said chubby cheeks. uh (laughs) Crazy story. Um, We got pregnant again. Uh, The doctors, you know, weren't sure that we'd be able to have the baby and and be able to carry. But uh, we went in the day of the playoff pairings that year in 1996. And we weren't ranked or anything. 3A school and uh, actually it's 4A, but uh, we weren't ranked or anything. And I remember this time it was, you know, I got a little bit of Indian blood in me. So we went to the Indian hospital and Dr. Knife Chief was the doctor. And (laughs) <laughs> we went in to hear the, the baby's heartbeat and obviously that two previous days were probably the low points of my life and uh i just had a different feeling i just knew in my in my spirit that something was different but uh the doctor came in and started using the instrument to try to find the baby's heartbeat on my wife's belly and my wife you know was sitting there she didn't know you know she didn't know whether to cry or be excited or what was going to happen and and once again he couldn't find the heartbeat so he said something different than the other doctors had he said i'm gonna i'm gonna have a different instrument i'm gonna go find it so uh, he left, you know. And my wife starts crying, and she's expecting the worst. And I'm like, "Hey, honey, I, I just got a different feeling. In my spirit, like, I believe we, you know, we believed, and, and that we're standing strong on what, you know, God told us." And so the doctor finally came back. Felt like he was gone a couple of years, but uh, he had yeah. the other instrument, and for the first time, we heard our baby's heartbeat. And it's, you know, our baby's heartbeat. I didn't realize it was so fast. It's really fast. And he kind of laughed and said, "Hey, man, he must be quick. You know, we couldn't we couldn't catch him the first time." And uh, <laughs> you know, for the first time in my life. Everything flipped. I no I mean, I, I honestly after losses would have to pull a bus over and throw up sometimes on the way home. I just loved winning and hated losing and it was kind of bred into me and and so, you know, I didn't care for the first time in my life if I won another game. Yeah. Uh God, God went to the top of my pole and, and stayed there. I mean, my family was next and, and basketball became a ministry and crazy story, true story. Uh, we won ten straight games, went all the way to the state championship game and our guys were praying at half court. I mean, this is this is just something we. I was like along for the ride. I mean, it was almost like uh, angels in the outfield type stuff. I couldn't I couldn't even pinch myself and believe it was happening. And, um, we got beat in the state championship game, but you know, I felt like God really got glorified. Our team was on the front page of the Tulsa World praying after the semifinal win. And, yeah. You know, I really I really got my first experience of, of God stepping into the equation. That's awesome. From then on, uh, the next year I took a head, uh, I went back to John Brown as an assistant coach. You know, I felt like, uh, God it's funny. Cause I always didn't want to go into college coaching, but my dad said, uh, I remember, uh, my assist. you know, my head coach calling and saying, Hey, I got an assistant coaching job at John Brown and I want you to pray about it. And I was like, uh, everything's going great. I got a good, good returning team. I'm, you know, we just got back to the state championship year, you know, and, and I, I don't feel like this is probably going to be it. And, and I started feeling God telling me, no, I do have this plan for you. And I'm like, well, I'm impacting these young kids with FCA and stuff like that. How am I going to be an impact at a Christian school? And and uh, especially just, you know, as an assistant coach and all that. And, and God just said, you know, hey, this is this is what I have. And you know, I had to learn to hear his voice. And so I go back, my family, we move our house and everything. God sold our house, every, all the little things worked out. And And we begin a journey where we joined the Sooner Conference, which is a a bigger conference. And, 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 you know, John Brown had never made any IA tournament. And so for the next three to four years, it'd be four years, we were the third team, excuse me, three years in a row, we were the last team not to get in with an at-large bid. And so it felt like you're just beating your head on the wall going like, God, what's it going to take? I don't understand. You know, like one year we finished fourth and one, two, three and five got in because Southern Naz had won the national championship the year before and they were the fifth place team. Oh yeah. They just felt like they had a better chance on that large bid. So, you know, we were sitting there just going like, we finished second in the SUNY conference the next year and didn't get in um, because they said the conference was down. I mean, it was, what you know, just as a coaching world, you know, if if I wouldn't had my confidence in my, in my life in Christ, I would have probably, you know, been completely frustrated, but, you know, I, I, we graduated eight seniors just like this past year, year before last, and everybody expected nothing from us. And we brought a group of kids in that God brought in, and, and one of them was Brandon Cole. And uh, Brandon, little chicken farmer son from a town of like 38 people in Hector, Arkansas, and never never in my life had I met somebody who uh, had as much faith uh, and, and used it in his basketball sense in an athletic realm. And yeah. We all pray, but we all pray before the game. But I, I honestly went back, went out there on my own accord after that. You know, I think I had strength and stuff got had put in me, you know, and confidence. But Brandon would walk out there saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, coach. And he believed it. And wow. he had zero fear. I, I had never seen zero fear on the floor until I watched that young man. I'd seen some crazy people, you know, that would run into a wall or whatever and kind of be fearless crazy. But um, I'd never seen no fear. And uh, this young man ended up hitting 527 threes uh, by his junior year. We're in the national championship and we win it. He was so contagious to the other players, uh, you know, and, and how he, he, he walked that walk and, you know, contagious to the coaches and everybody else. And it doesn't make any surprise to me. He turned down the head coaching job at John Brown a few years later. He had developed Malik Monk in, at Bentonville High School, and he turned it down because God was calling him to the mission field. And he's he's in Mali, Africa right now with his kids. Wow. Uh, he's a frontliner, you know. And that's yeah. what he says, like, Coach, I'm just a frontliner, you know. And that's where God's calling me. I went over there with Malik and I saw these kids. And who's going to tell them about Jesus? And I started taking what Brandon had and started, like, putting that into my other players. And I had a freshman that year on that team in 05. That uh, had to go home that next year. His mom lost her job, but when I I was blessed to get the Oklahoma Wesleyan job in in '07, and I called him. His name was Steve Briggs, and, and he was a backup guard uh, that year uh, under Brandon at the one and two. And uh, I, I called Steve and said, "Hey, I got I got a new job. It's not a great situation, but uh, I can give you some scholarship, and and uh, you'll get a chance to come back and play." How's your mom doing? and She got her job back, and Steve was like, "Yeah, I, you know, I'm ready, coach." So. Uh, Steve went on to be the third leading three-point shooter in the history of the game, hit 498 threes. Brandon's won. So on the same team, we had the number one and three all-time. That's uh,
0: awesome.
1: That's God, right? And yeah. so Steve went on and led us to the 2009 National Championship. Uh, Sadiel Rojas uh, was a freshman that came in under him. And uh, Sadiel ended up being the I player of the year and led the country in scoring and rebounding. Had a 38-18. Had a and 18 game in the nba d league won d league championship of fort wayne he's playing in, in, uh, in the euro right now you see Mercia making uh making good money and still you know fhg for his glories on on all, all those guys man i got uh, three or four guys right now that uh are playing at high levels professionally uh overseas and and guys just been crazy good uh from oklahoma wesley I applied, you know, when I took that job, God told me this, like, it was a bad job. They had six straight 20 lost seasons. The school, you know, numbers and struggling. We didn't have yeah. but a couple of scholarships. And I'm, I'm leaving a good program. that just won national championship. And I'm like, God, like, there's no chance. You know, I honestly, right. I thought I was going to get the head coaching job at John Brown. And it just didn't work out. Coach, coach's son um, was a division one staff. And, and they, they, you know, they, and I understand they hired coach, coach's son but it kind of left my situation in in a unique situation. And uh, what happened was, um, I don't know, I don't know why, you know, I'm just going to speak openly on this. Um, uh, My mom kind of, you know, carried the spiritual uh, pants in the family and and I'd watched my dad become a Christian. But, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, I was kind of in that same mold. I married a a young lady who loved the Lord and i kind of lived off my mom's prayers and my, and my wife's prayers. And, I drove the church bus, but I never read my Bible. I never fasted. I uh, I just went to church, sat in the back. I couldn't sing very good, so I didn't didn't worship very loud, didn't raise my hands, none of that stuff. I went to Sunday school, and, you know, and was a good guy. And 30 years old, you know, I'm still an assistant coach, not making much money, getting turned down for probably 50 different jobs where I get second or third. A good job is so while we're still winning championships, I couldn't get a job. And then all of a sudden, I don't get the job I thought I was going to get. And, yeah. uh, going into that, we had won the championship. I had walked into, we, we actually, the year we won it in 05, we were the last team to get in. We actually sent our guys home to thinking we were going to get in. And two teams won the conference tournament, uh, that had to get in. So we had to bring our guys back. So we're going into the, the banquet of the tournament, 32 teams there. And I remember Kevin Johnson, uh, assistant coach at the time at Oklahoma Baptist University. comes was running over to me. This guy oozes God like nobody I've ever seen before. He, you know, he's six six, married Miss Oklahoma. The guy just has it going on, and he's like, <laughs> "Donnie B, what's up?" You know, and I'm like, "Hey, KJ, what's up, buddy?" And I'm like, "No, I just can't believe we're dancing, man. We made it back. You know, it's our second time ever to get there." And uh, he just looks at me and like just gives me this stop stare look. Like, "What are you talking about?" Like, "I've watched you as a player. Like, God always is with you, man. Like, you're probably gonna win this thing." He, he's on the number he's an assistant for the number two team in the country, Oklahoma back with yeah. 31, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, that would be like, I'm not even going to say, you know, the NCAA team that would win, it would be somebody that you, you least expect a 31 team ever to have a chance. Yeah. And so when God's God showed up, like I said, in our players and Brandon, we won the national championship. KJ left me a voicemail on my, on my sheet, I'll never forget afterwards. And that's all great until, uh, that next year. And, and it's, it's, uh, New Year's, December thirty first. I'm up in my office uh, recruiting. Back then, I, I, I didn't have any cell phone or anything, so I get a phone call from a friend, and he's like, "Did you hear about KJ?" And I'm like, "What are you talking about?" And he's like, "Had a basal tip brain aneurysm, man. He he was coming from a jog, and all of a sudden, like he's gonna die." And I'm like, "Man, I was just, you know, honestly, I I hung up the phone and just started yelling at God." Like, I deserve this. How could you let this happen to KJ? He, he know, he loves you more than anybody I know. And I was just giving it to God pretty good. And, and, and I felt like God told me, he said, then fight. And I was like, what? Because I knew what that meant. Like, I'd watch my mom intercede for my dad and pray every night. and uh, Like I said, fast and pray. And, you know, I just hadn't done that. I had been a good guy, you know, but I had never done anything like that. And I was like, deal. I'm like, you take care of my boy KJ. And I will fight from now on, God. And I knew God was going to heal him. Miraculously, uh, only two doctors in the U.S. would touch him. They flew him to San Francisco. He died like three times. Uh, Valentine's Day, uh, he's coming wow. home. Uh, miraculously, going to make it. And I uh, go into Coach C.I.'s office and tell him, uh, you know, hey, Coach, I'm going to go over and, and meet and – I'm going to see K.J. before our game in Oklahoma Christian that night, and, and I'm going to go see him. He's coming home from uh, the rehab place. and. Um, Coach says, well, you're going to want to sit down. And that's when he, you know, he told me the tough news that, you know, he was going to hire a son. And, uh, you know, it wasn't the plan and everything. And, you know, if God hadn't prepared me those two months, and during that two months, I'm telling you, I was on a cloud nine. I can stay in my truck and just worship all night long, praying for KJ, voice of truth would rain. Uh, come yeah. on, every time I get a little doubt. You know, it was just a time where God prepared me. And then when that happened, I didn't even hardly hear Coach say that. I basically heard God say, uh, "I got something different for you, um, and yeah. He's gonna make He's gonna make something out of nothing," is what He told me in a song, and my wife and it. And it but, it's, it sounds good, right? Until you're driving, you know, in a minivan to Branson, Missouri, because a buddy gives you a timeshare and says, "Get out of town." And my yeah. wife says, "Hey, we haven't got a job. What are we gonna do?" And I got four kids, <laughs> and Man. I'm like, "We're gonna pray, honey. You know." What else are you going <laughs> to yeah, do? You know, and, exactly. and I had, I had some, uncon- you know, like I said, God had prepared me. And while I'm in, in Branson at a timeshare, uh, I get a call from a former player. He's up watching the V2 national tournament. And he says, uh, man, Don, this is crazy. Cause he's not a coaching. He's a, he's got a car business really doing well. And he's like, I had a dream, man. God said, like, you're going to take the Oklahoma Wesleyan job. And, and like, I'm going to be your assistant and we're going to win a national championship. And I'm like, huh. No, that's funny, man. Like I interviewed there four years prior. It's the only job I ever turned down because it was, you know, they were they were struggling so bad. They were about to close the school. Had a new president coming in. They were gonna try to get things going. And I'm like, I remember getting off the phone. Remember I said God was gonna make something out of nothing. And my wife actually said, "That's less than nothing. That don't count." (laughs) (laughs) And so the long story short, we take the job. God tells me He's gonna. He says you're going to have to apply these principles. He gave me some principles to apply. And he said, you're going to have to keep me uh, above 51%. If it ever drops below that, you're back on your own. Mm. And, uh, all we did was go 120 and 20 the next four years. We won wow. uh, 30, 39 consecutive games, uh, won a national championship my second year, just like my assistant and prophesied. He came on the second year and, and God just went crazy. And, and, uh, you know, our theme was for his glory. the are, a uh, national championship year. We're on CBS sports with the crowd yelling for his glory. And, you know, it just doesn't get any better than that. And, um, yeah, from there, that's awesome. you know, what can God do? You know, I'm thinking that's, I might as well just hang it up. What is he going to do any better than that? And so long story short on the next one, I, uh, I'm interviewing at one of the top schools, you know, the winningest NEI program in history. I'm, I'm, I'm set up to get that job. Actually, Oklahoma city university. <laughs> It, yeah. it, it, and, uh, I interviewed with the AD, um, everything looks lined up. I get a call from Southwest Assemblies of God University. My background is Assembly of God and, uh, they had never been over 500 in their, you know, entirety. And they asked me if they would, I would meet with them before I go in and do my final interview at Oklahoma city. And so they drive to Oklahoma city and I go eat dinner with them and I'm like, I'm not taking this job. Like you only have like three or four scholarships, you know, you're giving your team a chance to compete. With that, yeah. and I'll go. I mean, I had I was bold in what what I was going to tell them because I'm like I really know I'm getting this Oklahoma City job, and so you know I tell them this is what I would have to have. This is what the scholarships you need to have to have a chance to compete. I really don't want to be athletic director anymore, and you know, I just told them the moon. Uh, just said you know I know you can't give eleven scholarships like everybody else was given, but if you gave seven, and just you know if if the environment you're looking for. Uh, if your players are if some of the spiritual leaders on your campus, would you then increase the scholarships? And, and then would you change if it became a, you know, a spiritual leader on your campus? And I just kind of gave them all that because it, it kind of had done that at Oklahoma Wesleyan and John Brown. And, and so I went in and interviewed Oklahoma City. went great. I come home. I get a call. And they got a new president. And he was bringing an assistant coach with him from Oklahoma uh, University. And so the Oklahoma City job just fell out from underneath me in, in a heartbeat. And I'm sitting there going, like, I guess I'm staying at, at uh, Oklahoma Wesleyan because I know, I know is not going to agree to what I gave him on paper. Yeah. And I got a call the next day and they were like, we'll do it. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. Wow. You know, honey, we're going to Egypt because Oklahoma, you know, Texas is pretty much Egypt from Oklahoma, yeah. okay, <laughs> if you want to say a Sooner fan. Uh, and My wife's from a small town Arkansas gal, so big city of Dallas, you know, Sagu, um, that was not expected, but, uh, we knew God had called us and, uh, you know, he called us to his presence down there. Um, it was really crazy. We went down there and, you know, I, I we, we applied the biblical principles and down there, you know, being, being, a, a spirit filled guy and everything like a assembly of God and everything, I was able to completely just kind of buy into mission trips. And we took our teams while there, I went to Angola, Africa, I went to Bhutan and the Himalayas, you know, God had just opened doors to do some crazy stuff. Uh, I got with uh, TJ uh, is a good friend of mine with, with uh, point guard college. He got me on there and I was going all over the United States. We're talking at age 30. I hadn't seen a palm tree yet. But right Now God's taking me <laughs> all over the world. I got to be with USA basketball under 19 and coach Jason Tatum and wow. Jalen Brunson and Harry Giles and Josh Jackson and be a part of things that just I spoke at the Final Four. I mean, my dad, just at the end of Oklahoma Wesley, and my father, um, and I, that's part of the reason God took me over there. My dad had gotten cancer in my last year there. After we won a 39th consecutive game in the IA record, I walked up to my dad afterwards, and he said he was peeing blood. You know, that was a tough time. And for a year, you know, I'd watch God heal other people. And at this time, I was trying to figure out why I, my fasting and nothing was working with my dad. But he had called me to pray for my dad. Uh, but I was doing all I could to, to ask him. You know, he gave me an extra year with my father, and then he healed him by taking him to heaven. Mm-hmm. And that was the day when we pulled out for the national tournament the next year. Um, I actually left the hospital and picked up my team. And I get to Sagu. Now we got another program that God's going to have to do something crazy with to change. And mm-hmm. uh, my, we didn't make the tournament for the first time in my career as a, as a head coach. Uh, you know, we, we, were one, we were the last team not to get in again. We made the NCCA tournament, finished third. I had a player named Dominique Rambo that had redshirted for me at Oklahoma Wesleyan and was coming with us, and and he ended up being a two-time NEI player of the year, and and God uh, started moving. But really what happened was, was, people don't understand, I don't think, was my second year there, uh, I've been praying, God, send me an accountability partner. Give me somebody that can push me because I had a, a strong group of mighty men around me. My dad's name was David. My high school coach's name was David. Uh, you know, obviously I love, I love studying David in the Bible and, um, he had mighty men around him, God had put there. And I think we're all supposed to have those, that, that net tight group around us that are for us and pushes us and, and is our accountability guys. And, and I was like, God, I need somebody. And so the second day of school, we were just some guys playing pickup ball in the gym. And I, and I walked to the gym and I saw an older couple sitting there and I'm like, who are you guys? And, and they're like seventies and they were just happy. And I'm like, uh, you know, who are you guys? And they were like, oh, we've been uh, missionaries and mostly in the Middle East for the last 35 years. And this is my husband, David, and his wife's name is Julie. And, and he wanted to be a basketball coach, but God called us to the mission field. And he hasn't seen basketball in over 30 years. And I'm sitting there going like, what? Um, and he says, but I watch Hoosiers once a year, coach, and just started smiling. <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, what in the world, right? And so I said, well, hey, come in anytime, you know, come check out practice anytime. And they're walking out of the gym and God says, that's who you prayed for right there. And I'm like, that old guy, you know, I'm thinking like I wanted somebody my age. You know, I'm thinking I'm young, like I'm 50, but I'm thinking, you know, like he's a little old. He hadn't even seen basketball, you know. And So he comes in my office three days later and I say, hey, uh, would you like to be our chaplain? I just made up something. and, And he was like, I can't pay you nothing. He was all excited. So three days later, he walks in my office and we still, you know, it's early. We can't even practice. And uh, he hadn't seen but that one little pickup game, right? I hadn't seen basketball in 30 some years. And this time he's got this serious look on his face. And I'm like, hey, what's going on, David? And uh, he gives me this kind of look and he's, he's like, coach, I know you don't know me very well and, and everything. But I was walking and praying in a park and uh, God told me we're going to the national championship. <laughs> I honestly <laughs> smiled, laughed and said, hey. Uh, I think you watched Hoosiers one too many times, David. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I know I've won a couple championships. I see what we got out here. Like, I just kind of laughed. And he looked at me didn't even blink. He said, man, I've had so many machine guns pointed at me. I know when God speaks. And he didn't even blink. And I said, hey, I'm crazy. Oh, wow. I said, I, I'm all in crazy. So we're like four and two. You know, season's not even off to a great start. I just lose my second best player. And I asked him, I said, are you sure God was speaking to you in that part? He didn't even blink. Yes, sir, coach. And so I picked up my Bible. We went to chapel that that day out of that office. And in the back of chapel, I'm sitting there and because we got there a little late. And I remember at the end, they brought a, a guy up front. His name's David and his wife's Joy, of course, more Davids. And uh, he, he's our IT director. And I got to meet him the first day of campus as I was doing HR. And he's just a great guy. I love basketball. love the Lord. And he thought he had hurt his shoulder playing intramural basketball. The guy's just 30. Uh... And he's up front and he announces that he had stage four bone cancer uh, instead. And uh, I was just, once again, kind of like KJ, just crying out to God, Are you kidding me? And mm-hmm. uh, I was holding my Bible in my hand. I've been studying Eleazar, which is one of David's mighty men, who one time everybody was just sprinting and, and running from a battle. And he just said, No, not today. And uh, the sword of froze in his hand as he won a mighty victory. And uh, God said, I want you to. Fight again, and I'm like, really? And he's like, and you're gonna carry your sword like Eleazar? And I'm like, really? All the time? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> all the time? And I'm like, okay. So I walked up to him, Dave and his wife Julie or Joy, and, and told them like, I'm gonna be here, and God's gonna do something crazy. And you you, you know, I just kind of explained, you know, like I'm gonna be here, you know. And I started going around town raising funds for a, a stem cell transplant. And I hate fundraising. I'm I'm horrible at it. But but God just in, and we raised ten thousand dollars and basically in a short amount of time The crazy thing the next game so i'm coaching with my bible in my hand now because i told my guys you know i'm gonna miss some practices i'm gonna guys called me to do this and i'm, I'm gonna be doing some things shreveport. and so we're playing lsu shreveport who was really good and uh They beat us 35 at home. And it was like Space Jam. We couldn't hit a shot. We couldn't jump. We couldn't do nothing. (laughs) And I mean, I've never gotten beat like that. And it was like a spiritual battle going on. We played worship music and warm-ups. It was just something I thought I was supposed to do. And I remember walking in the locker room telling my guys, I'm like, hey, I don't know what just happened. I still got to carry this Bible. And we're still going to do it like this every time. And it was like, I can't explain it, but uh, I saw the guys like kind of just, they just said, we got your back, and, and they bought in that God had something going. We, we won 17 straight games, conference championship night. I'm sitting there in my office, uh, conference tournament championship, and uh, I get a text from David, NED, and I'm like, what is NED? I put a question mark down, and there's no evidence of disease. Wow. Um, we go on to the national championship, and they do a special on ESPN3, um, a halftime uh, of, of David. And God got all the glory. And we lost the game by the most points in the history of a championship game (laughs) 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 to Georgetown that year. But uh, (laughs) I couldn't have been more happy, you know. Honestly, God got exactly what, what, uh, you know, what I knew. He already taken a team that, you know, probably didn't have the capability of getting there and did something amazing. We had never even made a tournament, you know. And and so uh, God God was amazing over that next you know, six years at Sagu, got to do things, like I said, travel the world, do a lot of amazing things, and uh, I'm sitting there, I take my son, my youngest son, on a daddy-son daddy, daddy son trip. I try to take each one of my kids on a, on a, a trip, uh, a father trip, and so my youngest son hadn't got on a trip yet, so I always had a, a fetish with trees because I hadn't got to go on vacation as a kid, and I wanted to see palm trees, I wanted to see the redwoods, and so we flew to, to LA, we had basically nothing but a tent funyuns and hot dogs and water and we drove through uh, the sequoias and saw the redwoods went up to yosemite so we made the half mound which is in yosemite park uh which is the highest point from there you can see snow caps and and waterfalls and everything and i got a wi-fi call um we had first day we had wi-fi in three days and it's from a my friend mark Mulder again who played for me uh who was the uh now, AD and head coach uh, there at Oklahoma Wesleyan, and and he said, "Hey, Donnie, uh, you're coming back." And I'm like, "What? You know, what are you talking about?" And be, it, my wife was ready to get back towards her family, so was I. And and she wasn't a big town girl, so Dallas was a little too big for her. So it was a dream yep. come true in her eyes. She'd been praying for that. But I'm like, I don't know how I'm gonna return back to Oklahoma Wesleyan. NAIA is gonna go one division. I know the scholarship levels weren't good then when I was there the last time, how, how am I going to compete? If, you know, and you know, God did it last time. but He can do it again. I know, but, uh, I'm in a great yeah. situation at Sagu was recruiting right in my back door and, and so many great situations there. And he said, you know, God's made, he's going to make a way. I, I've got some alumni who really want to make it, you know, make it an opportunity for you to get back here. And, and one specifically says, Hey, I want to, you know, that doesn't happen at our level. Um, you know, so he, he invested in, in me and our ministry and, and brought us back to Oklahoma Wesleyan. And, you know, ever since then, it's it's been, you know, just like it has everywhere else. You know, you put God first. He takes care of all the other things. And, you know, winning is just a byproduct of, of that. You know, we've had lives changed. We've baptized people in our pond on campus. That's uh, awesome. You know, big guys like Josh, you know, God sends guys like that, you know, to, to our, our program. And you know, this year was just unique. Last year, we were number two in the country again. And we had eight seniors that were special. And uh, we graduate all those guys. And, you know, I was I was sitting there going, God, how are you going to do this? You know, you know, we only bring in, you know, mostly freshmen, you know, are we going to go through a rebuilding process? Or what are we going to do? And I'm okay with that if that happens. But I really need you to help, you know, to show up this year. And uh, we started the year on a mission trip I mentioned earlier. And then, I, we could have won every game which on paper when you look at our team i had teams and coaches at the national tournament indiana west was a good friend good good coaching friend of mine i mean they've been dominating for the last few years and he walks up and watches our practice before and says like you guys aren't very big and <laughs> you guys look pretty young yeah. i'm saying uh <laughs> yeah that's pretty much what i've been looking at they're saying all year when the radio broadcaster says uh you know, the guy sitting next to him and saw us warm up before the game uh, when we were playing Spring Arbor. And, and he's like, uh, like, man, you know, this this is, this is a really young team and they ain't, very, they ain't got much size and stuff. And the coach knows me pretty well. Me, the other radio broadcaster from Oregon Tech knows me pretty well. And he complimented me saying, I just told him, just watch and see what they do before you, you know, because these guys play hard. I promise you that. And, yeah. and we did. We had a group that just played incredibly hard. We had a, a very very deep bench. We played 12 guys. Uh, we would play fast with one group, slow with another. One group one night would work. The next group another night would work. It was just a unique team that, that just really all tapped into God. 126 uh, games, and you know, won our last four, and, and very few teams get a chance to win the last game.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's really cool. And can you speak quickly on kind of career paths in college basketball? I know that there's so many different ways to to get to where you want to be and how, you know, God takes people all kinds of directions to get to the top or get where they are supposed to be. That's a, that's a
1: great, great question. Great point. My, one of my favorite coaches of all time is, is Ken Hayes. Um, he coached at ORU Tulsa, New Mexico state. He also coached at, uh, he entered his career at Northeastern Oklahoma state. And, uh, and Ken, always he coached at high school, it'll be small high school. So he coached at every level and had success at every level and ken told me make the big time where you're at and that's the best advice i could ever give another coach uh when you're chasing and you're looking at the grass is greener somewhere else and you're always wanting to to somehow climb and and get more whatever fame money whatever you're looking for you're never gonna find the joy that you're looking for and just making what you have the grass make that your make that your um your ministry make it your opportunity you know enjoy every second of it because it it goes so fast uh you know it's really you'll look back and the lives you touch that's what you're going to take with you not in the relationships you build um the wins and losses the championship rings i got you know i got a number of rings and they just sit in my drawer i mean honestly you're not gonna wear a big old thing like that around all the time unless you're trying to you know Somehow point to yourself instead, you know, and that's that's just not what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Y- young coaches, yeah. let me tell you this: young coaches, um, there's nothing wrong with with trying your best to, to climb and get a bigger platform yes. and do better for yeah. your family. There's nothing wrong with that. Just make sure you're doing it for the right reason and you're not sacrificing what's what you're gonna. It's divorce is so high in the coaching field. You know, mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. did that. I did that for a long time. I, I sacrificed a lot of time, a lot of my time with my kids and my wife. And as a small college coach, I was able to take them with me. I mean, I don't know how I, I look back and go, I must have been crazy because five nights a week, I had four kids and my wife and we were going scouting, recruiting, you know, and driving three to five hours. And I would stop and, and run up and, pin, you know, on a payphone and put my code in to call a recruit. Uh, You know, it was it was what we did. You know, that's how we were able to do. Now you have synergy and huddle and and you recruit kids, social media. And it's so much easier. But never, never, ever sacrifice the best team God ever gave you. And that's your family Mm. for for an opportunity. You think someday maybe going to be more somehow give you fame, fortune. That's not that's never going to happen it's never going to buy you joy in the true peace you have that only God can give and only you know you can get through you know that that relationship with him and your family
0: right absolutely and you you mentioned you did get those rings and you have had success um at both the D1 and D2 and AI level um can you kind of speak into you know NIBA basketball doesn't really necessarily get the same exposure that maybe NCAA and particularly NCAA D1, but a lot of times NAI basketball is overlooked. Can you kind of speak to the competition level that exists at the NAI level and how it's the real deal?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's a great point. Obviously, back in the day when you had Scottie Pippins and, and Dennis Rodmans and those guys coming out of the NAIA, you know, you can say there were 600 NAIA schools. That was before the NCAA Division II even existed and yep. so now NCA Division II and the NEIA, they're on equal playing fields when it comes to scholarships. And thus, the last five years, we've beaten uh, Tarleton State. We've beaten Missouri Southern. These are top 10 teams. Asusa Pacific, we beat them. Now they're a top 10 NCA Division II school. Like, there's no difference in Georgetown, LSU, Alexandria, in any Division II school. They're, they're similar. And if you want to go past that, Look at what Southwest Assembly as a University did under Coach deal. he went down and, and uh, they played Stephen F Austin and basically it was a one point game they, they don't call a foul they beat them. Stephen F Austin beats Duke a year later yeah there there's i mean I, I'm not saying any I Division one schools Duke no, but with the small division one, the division twos, the athletes and the players um, sometimes you'll get a bigger athlete, yes. Um, at the division one level, but I'm telling you the skill level, usually um, the lower level you go division one, the skill level sometimes drops because they're trying to get the athletes that can't shoot. Yeah. And you get these players in the eye level that man, their fundamentals and their shooting ability and you still get a lot of division one athletes uh, that develop. I've had guys that came in at six foot and grew six inches and, and just amazing things that, like Steve Briggs, he was at Duncanville High School, one of the top programs in the country. He's a 5'10 guard that's skinny. And they're like, he's a two guard. He's not a point. Well, he could play at any level, anytime. I mean, the guy won two national championships, went on to play professionally, have all kinds of success all over the world. Um, there, there's those players all over. Um, the biggest thing you see at the NBA level now Compared to the Euro, sometimes some of those guys like Sadio Rojas. I mean, he had 38 points, 18 rebounds in NBA D League game. Won a NBA D League championship, starting. Got a couple looks by a couple NBA teams, but he's six four, and he's a three yeah. four. So they just say, you know, he's don't have that that height and length. I get it, but uh, that doesn't mean he's not a tremendous. You know, he's been in the Olympics. He's done all these amazing things, and was an NEI, you know, Division two player. You know, yeah. and so uh, people overlook that all the time. I think the kids really starting to get the fact that, I mean, the chance to just get your education paid for and make basketball a part of that experience. Um, if you're good enough, they'll find you. And you know, you have some players that you know that play in the G League. You have players that make it um, from D two small colleges, small Division one to the NBA. But it's it's just so many you know so many few players because. It's, it's a certain percentage that, that are going to make it that high. And usually they're 6'7", right. 6'8", 6, 6, gifted, crazy, you know, beyond measure athletically and strength-wise.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That was very well put. And, uh, who's a who's getting...
1: play, player that went D3, D1, and now he's, he's a great shooter? I forget the name of him. Duncan uh, Robinson? Yeah, I mean, great example. D3, yep. not even recruited, goes on. But he's also what 6'7", 6'8"? 6'7", yeah,
0: six eight, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, and that that's the gift that seems to be a gift that if, without that it's really
0: really hard. Yeah, absolutely. That was well put. And kind of getting more into the coaching side, we asked this last episode, and it's very interesting to hear each coach's thoughts on this. But it's kind of a real popular word in college basketball, especially is this word culture and and team culture. What kind of culture do y'all try to develop at Oklahoma Wesleyan or wherever you're at
1: you know i've kind of i've kind of mentioned i've been at christian schools and so you know going into it we really try to i mean I, i i've had i've got a young man that lives in houston he came to john brown found christ at john brown now he's he's been a pastor and starting a church plan in houston right now and so we've had a lot of kids i always look for kids with with what i call a heart a heart that's open to the gospel and a, yep. and a heart that's willing to come in and say, okay, I'm I'm willing to sacrifice, potentially you know, drinking alcohol, drug, any kind of smoking pot, any of that stuff, because I know that's against the rules here. But I, I just want to be a part of something good, and I see that you guys go out and serve. And we go out to Tim Tebow night. We go on mission trips. We go out and serve the community on Day of Hope. Uh, we do a, a thing called Samaritan's Feet where we get shoes for little kids that don't have shoes for Christmas. I mean, you go out and serve like that and you, you learn what Jesus did and you, you become, you know, a, a better future father, a better future husband. And when you get people like that and you add two things, I always say I'm never afraid to, to work hard and to have crazy joy, mm. smile and a bounce. And I always say you're playing basketball like there's not a bad day. My dad was a bricklayer. I worked construction growing up. And it's either hot or cold. You're getting up early. Like, there's some unbelievably gifted people who could build amazing buildings. My dad was one of them. But pushing a wheelbarrow, mixing mud, and it's cold or hot, that basketball court going to fight for your country, you're never having a bad day on that basketball court. It's, there right. shouldn't be a day you're not happy and smiling and bouncing and just thrilled for the opportunity that God gave you that talent. And so, you know, I always say, hey, you got to come in with a smile and a bounce. Uh, if you don't bring that then, then you don't need to come to practice today. And I look for guys that, that have those kind of like, you know, you say energy or you know, I also like I, I think you can add that. It's hard sometimes, uh unless you completely tap in to, to be somebody you're saying, how do you how do you bring a culture to somebody that's not used to winning? And mm. here's the thing I'm gonna say, I've taken over at Oklahoma Wesleyan. they had, had six straight twenty loss seasons. At SAGU, fifteen straight losing seasons. And tell you, the, the guys, whenever I took an Oklahoma Wesleyan, there was eight guys in the, in the, in the room when I walked in. I, I sat there, and I was like, you got beat 63 last year by Oklahoma Christian. That's our first game this year, and it's their homecoming. And I'm like, we're going to go in there and compete. They're not even going to recognize you, and we're gonna, they're going to turn this program around. Those guys are looking at me like I'm crazy. Here's the fun part of that, okay? One of those guys, his team, he's at uh, Lewis and Clark right now. And his team reached the final four last year, Austin Johnson. One of those guys uh, was named Garrett Jones. Garrett Jones' team made the national tournament this year at Montreal College. Another of those guys, Gene Hartman, who is my assistant coach right now. So of those eight guys in that room, all the rest of them were successful people. Four of those ended up big, big, big parts of our national championship team. They got prepared, those guys. And you know what? They were so hungry. Same thing at Sagu. I had guys come up to me after practice and just be like, thank you so much. coach. Just stay on me hard because they had been a part of struggle and now they were getting to enjoy success because of just some of the seeds that I'd already planted before us, but some of the hard work they were willing to say, like, push me harder, coach, push me harder. So you can take a guy from that environment. And when he gets a taste of like what I say, you know, Jesus, man, it's sweeter than honey. Like just give me, give me a chance. Just take a taste. You'll never want anything else. It's the same thing with that kind of success. When you enjoy and understand what, fight against lazy, fight against timid. Those things are not things that God has intended for you. Like go out and say, like, man, why, why is, why is your joy gone? Like, why are you not letting depression, panic, anxiety? That's going to take, you know, fear blocks more shots than anybody. Mm. And if you take that out of the equation, you're going to watch guys do things that are above and beyond their ability.
0: Yeah. And, you know, you kind of already answered it, hit the nail on the head. But how does that kind of play into recruiting? I know you said you're looking for guys with a heart and and that type of guy. So how's that kind of play into recruiting? And then I'll also tag this question along with it. When you're recruiting, are you kind of recruiting players that fit your system? Or are you building your system around the players that you can go and get that you think are right for your program?
1: You know, I think there, there's a formula we use, uh, and I, I've developed this over the years, how to win with less is what I call it. And uh, basketball-wise, it's four things. Uh, we shoot to three. Uh, we believe that the three-pointer, obviously, adds up faster than twos. And yep. it, can, it can really make people, you know, small ball works. You know, everybody shoots a three in the NBA. So the game is completely changed by the three-point line. We've been top five in threes made for about 15 of the last 16 years. And our percentages are usually wow. good. But threes made. Um, I've coached two of the top three three-point shooters in the history of the game. Once again, fear blocks more shots than anything else. So threes being a team that, that, you know, our bigs can step out and shoot, force other teams to go out and guard us, things like that. Uh, the second thing is uh, our defense, uh, you know, defense is going to win. Defense uh, defensive field goal percentage is, I think, the best measure of good defense. And so 40 uh, is the goal. Uh, Every team that has won a national championship for us or made it to the Final Four has been top two in defensive field goal percentage. Um, Usually, that's around 37, 38 at the the college basketball level. So, defensive field goal percentage hold your opponent under 40. Uh, The next thing would be um, transition points uh, off your defense. You need to reward your team, and, and even the old Boston Celtics weren't athletic, but they'll run ahead of the ball, pass ahead of the ball, you know, create pressure on the defense before that defense gets set up. So, transition points. And then right. the last one is probably, I think, the the one thing that people always put next to our program is offensive rebounding. Uh, the three-point line, to me, is kind of like a fence. And kids get out there, four guys, and somebody shoots it, and then they don't want to run in there because they think, if I run in there, i got to run back. And yeah. some guy's going to make a layup. Well, we're, they're going to take a step in like they're going to the offensive boards, but they're really not. You know, They, they may be good enough kids that that's at least not just – completely not going to the boards but it really is not getting anything done and so people would be like well you want to be the best defensive field goal percentage team we got to send two or three guys back and we don't want layups and i'm like well we led the country in defensive field goal percentage you don't think we don't want layups but we're willing to go to the offensive boards with four guys and get back and if we're the only team in the country willing to do that we got an edge but that was always talking edges and so, you know, in, in 2009, we rebounded 48% of our misses. We won 35-2 and two and won a national championship. But wow. over a period of 10 years now, it's, it's going on 11. And I did the math. Um, if you take trans- offensive rebound points and three-point points, so if I get three threes more than you, I get four transition points more than you, and I get three offensive rebound points more than you, that's 10 points. Over 10 years, per game average we we've 10 more points than you than our opponent. So you got to beat us 10 to beat us. And if yeah. you had go below 40%, we don't lose a game. And we've won 83% of our games at, at Oklahoma Wesleyan and about 78 I think it is of our of our games overall, you know, and and that's over a period now of uh, goodness, 6 4 13 years. And so, you know, I think the formula works, but I think that's really not the secret in the sauce. It's applying God's principles, teaching them to play without fear, uh, teaching them to constantly understand that uh, to play, you know, pass the praise, be unselfish, yeah. um, do little things. But be, you know, that, that we have a devotion every, every Wednesday. We do FCA every Tuesday. We have chapel twice a week. We ask them to get involved in church. We're going on mission trips. And you get guys that are buying into that kind of stuff. uh, It just doesn't return void. I mean, there's always success that follows that.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. And that's actually interesting um, that you said that about, you know, doing both. We had Alex Ireland on last episode, and he said the exact same thing is is getting those guys that can stop and help and then get back out and contest the shot, guys that are making multiple efforts. So that's Uh, interesting that you see that as a blueprint for winning teams.
1: uh, The guys who can – I mean – I honestly, I don't want to tell these secrets, but I'm going to like, I, I recruit <laughs> defensive, defensive players of districts. And some of those guys have went on to be just unbelievable, like success stories, Michael Newell away out of Louisville. Like, I mean, he's playing in Ireland and, and, and making all kinds of money. And, and the guy was just behind two division one guys was real quiet and willing to Isaac Rowe, same thing. Those guys, you know, they were defensive players of the district, so they were able, like you said, to guard two, possibly three, and help other people out and still guard their guy. They had high motors. They liked defense. I got a kid out of Nolan Catholic this past year. My starting point guard to start the year was basically a young man that I, I was bringing in for JV in a, in a walk-on position. Nobody recruited him. Too short, too small. All that stuff, right? But I loved his game, his, uh, his help side understanding, his ball fakes. I'm like, man... My your junior year, you, you might help us. Okay, he starts it for the point guard for me. My two guard wow. he comes in, he has this incredible defensive stance. And I but he didn't shoot it very good. And I'm sitting there going, like, hey man, like I already recruited a couple point guards, but like I love your D. Maybe you could just be a defensive stopper for us, you know, maybe by your sophomore junior year. He plays JV for the first semester. He's my starting point guard the last five games. And wow. killed it, shut down two because of the two things that both those guys did they guarded they played great team defense great like little details they were great at and, and i ended up starting both of them at the, as a freshman on teams that went to the sweet 16 and could have went further and they it made no sense you know i mean god kind of covered my tail on my recruiting mistakes that guys weren't quite ready and he brings in two freshmen that are completely those guys that nobody looks at in recruiting
0: wow that's awesome. And that kind of you know, branches off into our next question, and that's how do you sustain success year to year like that? What makes the difference to continue that consistency of winning and keeping that high win percentage like you've had and you've, Oklahoma Wesleyan has had?
1: Here's what I would do. Let's come watch a film where you're in one of your games. Let's just break it down, me and you. I do this with my players, and I'm sitting there going, what's your effort level, one to ten right here? Did you go to the boards with all you had or no? There's no in-between. Did you go to the boards and did you get back with all you had? You got to put yes or no. And then by the end of your film session, you should be able to do better next time when you come in here. It's not a matter of where you're at, it's a matter of where we got to get you.
2: And mm-hmm.
1: when you watch kids film with that, they start seeing and they have to be honest with themselves. No, I didn't go as hard as I could. I let myself get blocked out. I didn't anticipate very well. People are like, well, give me an offensive rebounding drill. I'm like, every drill you do when you're just doing pre-practice shooting should be anticipating the ball, getting where it's supposed to be and grabbing it with two hands and putting it back in. Like that's every drill. It's not a secret drill out there that's going to make you learn how to offensive rebound. It's a, it's a habit. It's a joy to outwork somebody. My dad was a bricklayer. I know what work looks like and I have no problem telling a parent, I'm going to tell your kid if he's lazy because it doesn't mean he's lazy. I mean, what he just did was lazy. Like if you're jogging when you should be running, you, you're not you're not given all you have, and why should you believe you should stay out there? Um, media timeouts, you know that I don't like media timeouts. I think it allows people to play, you know, uh, without wearing other people down. Like back right. when when Nola Richardson was doing 40 minutes, that, that that was wearing people out. Now every four minutes you can play seven guys because you're gonna call a timeout if you want to, and you can rest your big guys. And yeah. you know basketball is more like football now. You just end up getting a huddle. To me, uh, with two and a half minutes sitting there, you don't even know what to tell them because you just saw them.
2: But, uh, <laughs> yeah.
1: you know, I'm, I'm not a fan of that, but it's changed the game. The three-point line changed the game. So you still got to learn to play hard as you can for four minutes. And if you can – I think our teams do that. And I'll watch a team. Here's, here's, here's an easy way to – I'll sit there and watch a team. If they don't put anybody up there on a missed free throw or if they don't even try to offensive rebound the missed free throw, we're going to beat that team 80% of the time.
2: Yeah, wow.
1: I'm just going to tell you, we're going to beat them because they don't want to work. And we're going to have good players that are willing to outwork your players. Now, on a given night, they may outshoot us, but over a period of 10 games, we're going to beat you eight times because we're going to play team ball we're going to outwork you. And it's what happens. And that's at every level, no matter what high school, junior high, pro, you see teams that are willing to guard, willing to run, willing to play team ball, and it always produces. But yeah. I don't understand. I'll watch teams and I'm sitting there going like, man, like, why are those guys not going to the boards? Or why why is, you know, I, I don't understand. Like, they want ways to win. They want a new offense or something like that. And I'm like, well, you need to fix the little things before you worry about fixing the big thing here. Right. You know, yeah. it's not going to change anything.
0: Yeah. Um, That's really interesting. That Oh, go ahead, coach.
1: The eye in the sky doesn't lie. It, watch that film. Have somebody that you trust sit down with you and say, Look at every player and look at their effort level. You fix that right there, you're going to go so much further with whatever you do believe in teaching basketball-wise.
0: That's really interesting that you say that because, again, that kind of lines up with our last guest and the success that they had. He was saying there's no secret formula. You know, it's it's the day-to-day doing the same thing, doing what's right, and giving that effort every single day. And the consistency, you know, compiles it. It grows every day. Um, on that note, is there anything that y'all kind of do with day-to-day habits or, um, player development? Um, do y'all have a player development process and how important is that to y'all on a day-to-day basis? Um,
1: you know, a lot of guys are great recruiters and especially with junior colleges doing a good job and this and that, you know, they can give them five guys who can play and they can beat you. They have the ability to coach talent. I think that some programs though, bring in freshmen and you watch those players develop I remember losing eight guys, and everybody's like, oh, man, like who are you going to bring in next year? And I'm like, well, we got these three guys below them that are really good. They're starting to really develop. And yeah. they're looking at me like, oh, yeah, right. And then I watched the next year, and I'm like, where'd you guys And I'm like, oh, he was his backup last year.
0: He like, was here, he's, yeah.
1: <laughs> he, he's gotten better, you know. And we work hard on developing players. And I think our program, uh, we've got a lot of coaches out there, like I said, having a lot of success because of, you know, we teach the game right, I think, and we work hard on developing our kids. My assistant coaches do a great job of that. Um, you know, I think there's certain tendencies to, to, to learn to play and enjoy contact at our level, um, learn to do little bitty details, whether it's, uh, you know, shorten your stroke, footwork, um, whether it's rebounding with two hands, whether it's uh, snapping the ball in your passes on time on target, all those little details. And it's amazing. I know uh, every level, they have to go back and teach fundamentals again. Even when they get to the pros, they have to take all that talent and figure out a way to teach those guys to draw fouls and use fakes because they don't have to before that. We yeah, You get a talented high school kid, very few of them know how to use a fake. They don't have to because they're just faster and more athletic. And then right. once you add, add all of that – then all of a sudden now you got a, a player doing things at a higher level and you get stronger obviously and, and you get more encouraged with the the speed of the game's got to slow down to him again with the shot clock and, and and all of that you know but uh finishing on on you know on in traffic using the other side of the rim learning to use your body because the, the game's not you know it's called weight you know you got a little guard, little guard driving and just flopping at, at our level they just look at him like he shouldn't have went in there yeah like high school the guy's shooting free throws every time and so he just mm-hmm. drives right-handed. He don't even know how to go left-handed. doesn't know how to change speed. And now all of a sudden, he just drives it right-handed and he's getting shot blocked every time. And he's a good enough athlete, but if he don't add a left hand or add a change of speed, the kid's probably going to have a limited career and maybe maybe be done. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. you know, I think those are all little things. Shooting is another thing. Four or fives, very good at, you know, a lot of high schools, they never even get to shoot past 15 feet. And yeah. so to, to add that another two steps back and out of the three-point line, ability to shoot a three. And, and, you know, they don't have to take the two dribbles. But if they can hit an open three, you know, the whole game's opened up more for them. And and so that stuff's all developmental stuff.
0: Yeah, absolutely. One more question on that note. With that win percentage that you all have had, you know, uh, losing's inevitable. But how do you battle adversity and, and deal with losing or maybe locker room problems?
1: Yeah, everybody's got them. Everybody, you know, adversity, my favorite verse is James 1-2. Consider adversity pure joy. When I took the job at Oklahoma Wesleyan, God gave me that verse, and he said, you know, uh, you better get ready for this one because adversity is going to hit you like never before. Uh, You're going to have to learn to deal with it. And so we just started saying, pure joy, baby, pure joy, baby. When you get a bad call, when things aren't going your way, instead of letting that spiral start going negative, You you just got to look at it and say, pure joy, baby. We knew it was coming. It's like a boxer. If you didn't know an uppercut was coming, you keep getting hit with it. When you know adversity is coming, you can deal with it. And if you have a plan of attack to how to deal with it, then you're going to have success. And so we, we, you know, we build on that. Now, you know, we're not perfect. We got got kids just like anybody else that make a mistake occasionally and, you know, It's all about grace and and about are they willing to change. And so, you know, we we want everybody to make the right decisions and and learn from their mistakes. I make more mistakes than anybody out there. But do I learn from them? We talk about uh, weakness. Okay, there's a word called meekness and meekness. will The meek will inherit the earth. And everybody's like, nobody says I want to be meek. You know, I want to be power. I want to be like tough, you know. The United States or however our culture has created that word to be weak and timid. And the actual word meek in the Bible means power under control. It's the opposite of what everybody calls it. And yep. so we're supposed to have like the Holy Spirit in us that walked on water, that raised us from the dead. And this should be the most powerful thing people see. It shouldn't be soft and timid. It shouldn't be anger and out of control. It should be this man that's just like, I want to be like that. And that's, that's what people should be seeing when they see a team that's representing Christ on the court. Physical, yeah. knock them down, pick them up. Never throw anything dirty out there, but they don't give an inch. And, you know, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's our core. That's our core of what we have to stand on uh, daily. So do we go through adversity? All the time. Man, my life has been full of it. Death, lost a job, all that stuff. But for every valley, there's a mountain following it. Yeah. You just got to go through that valley. He says, Yato, yeah, I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. It's a shadow. And he says, and you walk through it. He's going to take you somewhere else. I get excited in the pit. Joseph's pit was his taxi cab to the palace. I see a pit show up. I'm like, oh, God, where are you going to take me now? This is, man, I can't <laughs> wait to see what you got. You know, what do you got coming? And he just keeps doing it over and over and over. But if you get caught in that pit and you start having that pity party and you get, you know, in that valley and you just like quit and get depressed and you go back where you came from you're never going to reach your destination. And so I think yeah. you know those those philosophy, those principles, those things that that you daily that you know I'm not I used to like think the word <laughs> apologetic, that's a big word. I'm a small town guy that my family wasn't highly educated, so I didn't like big words. And when <laughs> I first heard that word, I'm sitting there going like, "Man, I don't even like the sound of that word." And so, yeah. you know, <laughs> People that were apologetics, I, I, I felt like they were trying to tell me what what their faith was and what mine wasn't. And I wasn't good enough. And I was always like, man, I'm not an apologetic. Forget that. And one of my mentors, my buddy, David, who was a missionary forever. He, he told me, like, oh, you're one of the biggest apologetics I ever met. And I'm like, man, don't be calling me that. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, he's like, it's just all that is, is like somebody who can explain their faith, what they believe. And I'm like, OK, I need to do that. I get it. But like, I, I don't have to like, why do I got to explain it? like he goes exactly that's why because the most powerful apologetic is a living apologetic they just let people see people love they let people see people like uh you know deal with adversity in strength because they can lean on god and so you know i think the best way to deal with adversity is to have that smile and bounce knowing that we win a battle no matter how many times you get hit with a scud missile or whatever else you know that pit that valley if you let that be your stepping stone, man, God's taking you to a higher mountain every time. and He, he yeah. just continues to do that. Yeah.
0: Well, that's interesting you talk about identity and, you know, your team battling adversity and having meekness. Um, when you talk about identity, what would you say even on an X's and O's perspective or just as a whole is the identity that you want people to see in your team? And when they look at, you know, Oklahoma Wesleyan Eagles, they say this team is that?
1: Warriors. I I do believe they know when they show up in our gym, there's going to be a unique thing. Our warmth is going to be full of praise. They know that we're going to be loving. But when that horn tip-off goes, they know they're going to have to work with all they got to to compete that night. And uh, if they outwork us and they they outscore us on that scoreboard, we're going to be the first ones to shake their hand. But they know they're in for a battle. And they know that at the end of the day, we're brothers still. And, you know, when it comes down to it, it's just a game. We're playing something that we love, and I think it's nothing but a mission field. And I told our guy, this is how we broke huddle this year. This is the true story. It's the most powerful thing we've said this year, breaking huddle. Back in the day, one of our FCA guys said the Olympics, when they started running, was the biggest event. And the runners had to carry their torch. And if they won the race but their torch was not lit, they lost. They had to finish the race with their torch still lit. You know, Moses, the burning bush. It wasn't that the bush was burning. He was always in the desert. It was that the burning bush would never stop burning. And we are supposed to continue our fire. And so, you know, what are we doing? In our sense, we believe what we do is worship on the court. So we're going out to preach. So we busted huddle all, all throughout the national tournament this year, On our last game. But what we all said was preach. And it was like probably the most powerful thing we had ever broke the huddle doing. And like I said, it was it was a big win for us and and a special Mm -hmm. win in a lot of different ways. But that's what we're doing. We're called to go. We're called to preach. You know, what does that mean? I think that's just being you. That's showing God during adversity, during uh, during a challenging game. You know, we played Spring Arbor, another Christian school, another unbelievably godly man who won the national championship last year and gave God all the glory we're out there together doing the same thing, both of us, I think, preaching. And so you know, I don't think there was a loser in that game personally.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. And we've talked a lot about faith and you've you've given us a lot of knowledge outside the game and on life. And faith has been a real big aspect for you within basketball. You've actually started spirit-led coaching and you've done some other stuff with mission trips and whatnot. Can you kind of dive in a little more to you know, what you've been able to do with that and how it's had an impact on the game for you?
1: You know, uh, I think it's John 15, 5 says, uh, Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. And what he means by that is you can do nothing of value. And he also says, all things are possible through Christ who strengthens me. That's what Paul says, like what we do and what we love to do, what our passions are, usually, you know, can be our guides. And if we can stop that from happening, given, given your Giving your talent, uh, whatever that talent is, whether it's sports or something else, um, whether it's basketball, if you can give that back to God and just enjoy uh, using the talent and gift He's given you to to win souls, like what more can you do um, as a coach? Probably there's not a more impacting profession in the world than coaches. Yeah. And I've seen the negative impact. I've seen the impact of coaches had convincing young men, kind of laughing about it, getting them into doing things that I, I would suggest they don't do. At the same time, now you have this opportunity to impact the world and, and, and one kid at a time, one athlete at a time, and teaching them about, the, you know, what it's like to be a, a good father, a hard worker. Because someday they're they're going to lose their job. Are they going to just run off on their family then? Or are yeah. they going to like be a rock? You know, so spirit-led coach is, is something I'd always send out emails and try to you know, ask God, hey, use me, man, let me help other coaches. And so I've done that since I was an assistant 25 years ago. And, and a few years ago, this guy in Briggsdale, Colorado, we did our mission trip on, like, he called me because I did a Nike clinic. And I mentioned the 10 biblical principles. And it was like eight years ago. And I, I didn't realize they were still putting, you know, they do a little coaches book that they send out. It's called, I think, Championship Coaches Clinic or something. And they put down what you write down. So they did my you know, how to win with less stuff. But then I had these, I said, the secret of the sauce is these 10 principles. Well, they removed the principles. So he called and said, Hey, coach, I got this booklet, got your name in it. It mentions you had 10 principles, but they don't They don't have them in here. Could you send them to me? I said, Oh, man, yeah. Where are you, where are you from? He goes, Oh, I'm from Colorado. I said, Oh, yeah, I went to junior college in Colorado. He goes, Where? I said, With well, Northeastern Junior College. He goes, My brother went there. I said, No way. I said, hey, I graduated in uh, 91. He goes, Hey, he got there in 91. I said, Who was his roommate? He said, Matt Swan. I said, that was my roommate. So he moved into my huh. wow. bed. And now I'm looking at God's fingerprints all over this. Since that day, me and Clint have become like brothers. And God has used so many things. And Clint called me one time because Clint lost his job for praying with his kids at one school um, wow. too much, according to what he was doing an FCA and doing a youth group thing. It wasn't even at school. But God opened up another job. And long story short, uh, You know, Clint got to the state tournament this year. It was pretty, pretty amazing thing. But God blessed him in another way financially. That was a blessing. He turned around and blessed me. But he says, what, what you're supposed to do with this is start this ministry like you, you know, you did for me. And so he pushed me that night, and I knew I was supposed to anyway. And I prayed about it, and Spirit led coach came out, and I, I I don't even know how to start a website and none of that stuff, but. But well, since then, like, man, I just do these blogs and I've, I did a coach's clinic. I went to Michigan a church up there and, and 150 coaches come. I did one here in town. Uh, I'm going to go into some bigger cities, maybe Dallas, and do a couple of bigger churches this next year. But um, my goal is just to give. We have to be fed. I didn't feed myself. I just went to church and let the ch- uh, preacher feed me forever. And I was I was not receiving everything I, I was even knew it was available. Right. Whenever my buddy KJ went down and I learned to fight and I learned to tap in, I started feeding myself and started fasting and reading the Bible and, and doing YouTube messages and learning to worship, listen to you know, music, and all of a sudden God opened favor and doors that I, I can't even explain. I mean, you can't explain. But now you sit there and go, like, okay, like this is what I call that. It's it's called the second mile principle. Like everybody where that come from? It sounds good, right? Like, hey, touch the, touch the line in a sprint, you know, go the second mile. What yeah. it actually meant was in Roman days, a Jew was a slave. And so a Roman soldier come through town carrying his armor. He could make a Jewish boy or a man carry his armor for one mile by Roman law or get flogged. So you had to teach your son as a Jew how far a mile was. Here's what Jesus says. Not only go the first mile, but go the second mile and do it in love and do it for me. So they see me. Now, nobody does that. Everybody goes one mile and like, I put it down. I'm going to go back to my thing. You know, you might even do it in anger. But if you do the second mile of love, that's when God's favor shows up and just starts falling. And like, yeah. that's all I've my players. Like, go another mile and keep that smile and like, see what God does. And it's just been, it's just been flow. It's been nonstop. And I like to say, guys, give me more. So you know, I encourage you to go to spiritledcoach.com. Uh, I've got a thing coming in September that guys put on my heart called Freedom Fire. I'll be saying some more information about that. Uh, it's kind of a back to school thing. I think the timing is perfect. God brought it to me in January, but it's a, it's about attacking fear, depression, anxiety and panic. And now with, yeah. you know, the, the the virus and everything, that's all you see. And so what a more timely thing. We're going to bring some uh some some musicians some artists in we're gonna we're gonna bring fca huddles from all over college kids from all over uh and we're gonna bring them in and we're just gonna attack those four things and i believe holy spirit's gonna gonna replace them take away addictions and just gonna be an amazing time you know i think with things like uh promise keepers coming back to dallas in july and you have like the sin coming to kansas city in october like man, God's fixing to do a major mighty thing. I think this, this virus is just Satan trying to find a way to put fears into people before God does something great around here.
0: Yeah, that's In really cool. Well, I appreciate you coming on, coach. You've you've given us so much knowledge and a great perspective on the game and life and how it all ties together. Um, before I let you go, I, I always ask the same question to every guest, and I'm sure you'll have a great answer for us. But the question is, what is one piece of advice you'd give to a coach running a program trying to win or, you know, a player within a program or anybody within a basketball organization trying to climb the ladder? What's one piece of advice you would give to somebody in the game of basketball? I'd say
1: step back, look and see who you can help. Who can you serve right now? Don't, don't think of the person ahead of you that you're trying to get you to promote you. Who can you serve that's the least in your program? Uh, is it a janitor one year we had a guy that was special needs he was about 45 50 years old you know he was high functioning retarded his name was Mikey he goes to all the events here in town and Mikey said coach 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 can I come into the locker room who wants this guy in their locker room right in halftime you're giving like an emotional speech but I said you know what Mikey get in here and Mikey would come in my locker room and You would sit there and go through this locker room thing thinking, like, how would that help your team? Yet, you saw the joy in Mikey, no matter what. And you saw how blessed you were for God's gifts he had given you. I'm going to be on. This is a true story. We went 50 straight wins at home before I left Oklahoma Wesleyan with Mikey in the building. Wow. And we took him on the road. I started started saying, like, we got to take Mikey with us. There was something (laughs) special when you – bring somebody else that's, that's God's child and you love on them. And you, you know, if it's a janitor, if it's somebody that does work that you don't, you know, you just don't even realize they're helping you, but you, you're not having to sweep the floor. You're doing stuff. Go, go see how much you can love on them. What you do in private, God makes public and brings you to a higher level. That That's Absolutely. what he wants to know. That's what David did in, as a shepherd. That's what you know, that's what fasting's all about. When you fast, you do not supposed to make it public. Just I tell my guys, we fast every January, and it always pumps us up to another level. I say, just fast video games for a week and give it to God. During that time, you know, soak on him a little bit. And yep. the guys that do, oh, my gosh, they, they tap into something. They're like, the rest of their life, they're going to know the value of fasting and sacrifice. Here's the last thing I'm going to say. You know, that freedom fire event, I'm asking God to bring fire back down. And just burn and consume all this is fear and stuff. God only brings down fire when there's a sacrifice. What are you willing to sacrifice today for Him? Yeah. You never, you'll never outgive God. So what you think you're sacrificing most of the time ends up being your biggest blessing.
0: Mm. Thank you, Coach. Now, this it was has a pleasure,
1: Justin. Oh man, I appreciate you giving me the time. It was, it was a, it was a privilege.
0: Yes, sir. Thank you for coming on.
1: God bless, brother.